0: Heterodorks, heterodox dorks. Yeah, make the editor deal with it. Yeah, stupid editors. We have a good editor. I think we have a fantastic editor here at heterodorks, heterodox dorks. Hi, I'm
1: Corinna Cohn, your co-host of Heterodorks.
0: And I'm Nina Paley, your other co-horse, yes, I'm your other co-horse,
1: should I start by talking about this dream that I had?
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's not a sexual dream as far as I know, but maybe a, a Jungian listening can correct me if it is. But I had this dream. I was at a, a house. I was a guest at a house, and I was in this room. There was a man there, and as it is in dream logic, I somehow felt that this man was my older brother. But I don't have any older brothers, so I, I don't know. Didn't even have a, an older brother figure growing up, so I don't know who this person would be. I was in this room, and there was a door in the back that led to outside. And I opened it up the door and looked out, and I could see that there was a, a body of water in the distance, and there was a path that led to it. I started going down the path, and it was boulders, and I had to get down low and use my hands to balance myself over the boulders, and I got over the boulders and... And there was a, a, a tiered, terraced path that, that went down towards the end that was like a stream that had pebbles in it. And I started running down the, these terraces along these watery pebbles. And I could tell that at the end of the path, it, I, I would have to leap off into the body of water to do it. And this this brother figure who was behind me yelled after me, don't chicken out at the end like a. He, he trailed off for a second when he said like a. And, and I realized that I was just wearing a, a t shirt and an underwear. I wasn't wearing anything else. And for the first time in in the dream, I became very self conscious about my body. I felt my breasts under the t shirt because I wasn't wearing anything else. I felt them moving and I, I felt naked and exposed. And I knew what he was trying not to say, which is, um, don't, don't be afraid to jump in like a girl. And I woke up from the dream before I knew whether I was going to jump or not. And that's been, uh, had that dream last week and it's, it's just been lingering. So in the real world, I have been getting involved in more events where they are gay men's events, partly, and more open LGBT events. And I've been introducing myself as Corey instead of Corinna. And dressing in, in fairly neutral clothing. And having people still call me her and she. <laughs> and that really echoes that moment from the dream where... Somebody's trying to address me and that what I've done to myself just intrudes on, on everything. So I, I think I know symbolically what that jump is, what that leap is, but uh, I don't know how it's going to play out in the real world.
0: When you mentioned the older brother and you said, well, I don't have an older brother. You are an older brother.
1: (laughs) That's true. I am. But I don't have uh, a sibling who I have a a relationship with, so it's almost wasted that I'm an older brother.
0: Well, you're everybody in the dream.
1: Yeah, I'd forgotten that. So you have joined uh, Heterodorks, Dream Interpretation, side story. So welcome.
0: Welcome, turfs and trannies. Corinna was saying that turfs don't believe in gender dysphoria. And I said, whoa there, now, just wait a minute. There might be some small, angry subset of mean girl rad femmes that don't think gender dysphoria is a thing. But my experience with TERFs, at least old school TERFs, on our gender critical was they almost universally acknowledged that gender dysphoria was a thing, even while insisting that humans can't change sex and that there's no true trans, but that certainly people could experience seemingly intolerable distress about their sexed bodies. I guess you would call that sex dysphoria, not gender dysphoria.
1: Yeah, the terms keep changing. You, you know, they, the uh, the WPATH 8, I think, uh, WPATH SOC 8 that just came out last week, I think has actually gotten rid of gender dysphoria and has replaced it with gender incongruence. Really? Yeah, it's. I, I don't think it's completely abolished yet, but it's it's the move
0: that seems like something that's changed just for the thrill of keeping everything changing so that everybody's kept on their toes because it's sort of a nonsense replaced with other nonsenses. And when I say a nonsense, I mean, I don't mean that, you know, whatever gender dysphoria refers to, isn't a real phenomenon, but, uh, Yeah, just changing the names of things all the time. Yes. I'm sure it's just to keep people on the back foot. Gender incongruence. How can there be... It's like social construct incongruence. It's like, oh, your social construct is incongruent, But I guess they don't say it's a social construct anymore.
1: Everything's... Well, sex is a social construct. But your experience of what your sex is is a... Absolutely indisputable and incontrovertible.
0: (laughs) The WPATH version eight rules or standards is on the list I made of gender bullshit news because there's been so much gender bullshit news. So I guess we should just start by talking about that. And uh, this list is based on what I retained from looking at the internet this week. So it's not legitimate research or anything. It's just what stayed in my head even after frivolous little things like facts were not accessible to me.
1: Let's hear your list and maybe we'll pick some things to go.
0: Okay, I I have six items on the list. First is Turf Island. The Mermaids lawsuit, question mark, to get uh, the Lesbian Gay Bisexual Alliance's charity status revoked, LGBA. And I don't know if that's technically a lawsuit. I think it's some tribunal, you know.
1: It's a challenge.
0: Law is different between the U.S. and the U.K., and I don't understand it fully here anyway. But I know that the LGBA got charity status, which helped them accept donations, and Mermaids didn't like that. And now there's some sort of legal proceeding that involves testimony and witnesses and barristers, as they call them over there, and uh, lesbians being put on the stand and sort of goaded into <sighs> confessing, I don't know, like the the prosecution or whatever the interrogator, Seem to want the lesbians to confess that lesbians don't have to be female, something like that.
1: Do you want you want to keep going down the list, and we'll we'll uh, yeah. circle back.
0: Okay, and then also in Turf Island, a lesbian march canceled yesterday, I guess, by police yep. due to safety issues because in, there was in a, Leeds. a trans rights activist march, threatening them, and the police chose to protect the trans rights activists by canceling the lesbians for their own safety. That's, you know, again, without me double checking or anything, that's after waking up this morning, not looking at the internet for a while. Yeah. Okay. North American news. Uh, the giant fake tits high school shop teacher in Ontario, Canada. Yeah. And uh, his school defending him. Uh, Dylan Mulvaney being platformed by Forbes as a spokeswoman for women. Dylan Mulvaney, I guess we can talk about that later. He's a a newbie, trans-identified, possibly gay man, but some sort of exhibitionist or attention seeker. And then international news. Uh, Kiwi Farms dropped by Cloudflare and removed from the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine. And... WPath's new version eight standards of care released. Unix, no minimum ages for puberty blockers slash hormones. Question mark. So Unix, people are talking about Unix. I guess WPATH recognizes Unix as some sort of gender that requires affirmative care. And there's been lots of posting and tweeting and sharing about that. People are outraged the yeah, Unix I, thing.
1: I haven't heard very much from the eunuchs themselves, though. They're a, they're a pretty quiet group.
0: I think they're a pretty small minority. Now, I've been tempted to tweet something about this uh, to say that, look, I'm not inherently opposed to young people eunuchs if it's in a society where they'll starve to death if they don't, and they're promised a long, safe, and prosperous bureaucratic career if they do.
1: That doesn't as make sense, Nina. Being an
0: imperial minister. Well, I don't like that society, right? I don't like a society where you may die of starvation, where where that's your choice, right? It's like die of starvation or be castrated and have a cushy job, but. In such a society, oh. I would not be outraged by boys or their families choosing the castration and cushy job path.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Nina, because I feel like when we've got a society where, where your choice is to starve or to sell your body to horny men who treat you like an object, I'm not opposed to people being sold and treated like objects if their alternative is to starve.
0: Yeah, that's why we don't go... uh, That's why those of us who are opposed to prostitution do not blame the prostitutes. Because they're in a Mm. shit situation.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that that response fully addresses my uh oblique criticism of of your your position there really yeah
0: go into it more
1: well you're saying you're not opposed to castrating boys if the choice is uh starvation
0: if it's starvation or castration then it is a if you're if you're in that system yep if you're locked in that system then it is a rational choice to choose castration over starvation. That's not the society we live in. That was like the point of me thinking about this, because I guess, I guess the reason I even thought of it was people can be very, there's a sort of knee jerk reaction and people are very smug. Like we're enlightened now. It's like, ugh, you know, only barbarians would do that, right? Only, barba- you know, like Castrati were part of a barbarian society, and that's disgusting.
1: They, weren't. they were part of a, a very elite society.
0: Exactly. And that people respond to it as though they're somehow better now, and society is complex. And, you know, if if you were in a society where that was the setup you, you wouldn't be entitled to that kind of moral outrage. It's a, it's not an endorsement of that society, not by a long shot. But what I am trying to say is that whatever society you find yourself in, you, you not only accommodate yourself to that society, you don't even know what's going on. You don't even, you don't even have the capacity for going, like this is outrageous and barbaric. I mean, people who are in societies where female genital mutilation is practiced, I don't think they they don't think about it the same way that you know enlightened Westerners do. There are some that consider male circumcision pretty barbaric, and you know when you think about it, it I don't put it anywhere near on the level of female genital mutilation but it is kind of nuts.
1: I wouldn't use that exact phrasing.
0: (laughs) It is kind of bonkers that like of my generation, boys, you know, boys of my age in the United States, they were just circumcised, not for religious reasons. That was just what you did. And you didn't think about it or question it. You just did that. Yeah. Uh, there are lots of things like this. So sure, if you live in a society where there was a retinue of eunuchs to be ministers for the monarch, that was just how the bureaucracy was organized. That's just what you'd do. Sure. <laughs> Argue with me.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't really feel like arguing. I just I have some level of exhaustion with this. I don't, I don't know if fetishization or romanticization, romanticizing, I think it's romanticizing the circumstances of Korean imperial eunuchs to try to uh, make some sort of broader statement about um, the castration of, of young men. I, I, I don't have a lot of appetite for uh, entertaining that anymore.
0: I'd rather be argued with.
1: I just don't have an argument. The there was a very brief time period in a very small part of the world where uh, young men were castrated, and as part of being brought into a imperial bureaucracy, as part of having an elevated status, because young men have been castrated all over the world, yes, as part of reinforcing their slave status.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So a couple of Places and, and times in the world very, very limited, where castration was a prerequisite for being elevated in status. I, I think focusing on those things is romanticizing male castration, and I, I just don't want to. I don't want to use those as examples when there are hundreds of thousands and, and probably millions of other cases of young men being castrated in in order to really actually subjugate them.
0: That makes sense. And actually, that is analogous to your previous analog of Mm. prostitution, because there have been some prostitutes, you know, courtesans who have enjoyed relatively high status and they've been romanticized. So even today, even today. Yes. So thank you for saying that, because that definitely... Puts it in perspective. And so for the record, I think we're both opposed to castrating boys and selling women's bodies. I am. Yeah, I am too. I just don't want to blame the people that, that do it. And we are not in that society right now. And I suppose some of the response to the eunuch thing is like, are they trying to bring it back? Like, are they, they are. are they they're n- trying to normalize this
1: I, I want to talk about blame for a second because uh you're holding some of them blameless so you're holding the victims blameless, yes, but I want to actually put some focus on the perpetrators who actually do deserve some blame, yes, particularly in this modern era where families. I want to delve into this for just a second and set up a little, a little bit of context. Both boys and girls are being transitioned by their families. However, there is also a difference in the impact to these individuals in terms of their reproductive health and, and capability, their fertility. And for boys their fertility is basically being stamped out. And for girls, their fertility is being put at risk. And in some cases, it will be stamped out. But it's less common, because although it's brutal when girls have double mastectomies as part of this so-called gender-affirming health care, when boys have uh, the uh, orchiectomies, that's a, that's a one-way street. And that's one of the... Um, analogs to the um, double mastectomy. But, it, but it, is, it is far more affecting to a, a person's sexual health to lose their gonads than it is to lose a secondary sex characteristic. And although there are fewer, relatively proportionally fewer boys who are being transitioned at this point in time, the absolute numbers of boys being transitioned is increasing tremendously. And there's going to be a whole generation of young men who are never going to be able to actually experience sexual pleasure at all because their parents, these boys' parents, have made the choice to feminize their sons and destroy their bodies. And I am holding a little bit of anger in me this morning because I've heard a couple of stories over the weekend about mothers doing this to their sons. I'm sure fathers deserve some of the blame as well because they're uh, part of the the decision-making. But the stories that I heard this weekend, particularly are mothers uh, being the active decision-maker doing this to their sons. And I think that this is morally abhorrent, and while the parents of either sex who are involved in making these decisions certainly should not be the targets of any sort of random violence or acts of hatred, nevertheless, that they are going to bear a dark and indelible stain of moral culpability for the destruction of their own child. And I hope that these people who are participating in this, unless they wake up before the harm is permanent, I hope that they suffer emotionally and psychically for a very long time and for the remainder of their lives for the harm that they're doing to these children. So listeners, if you're one (laughs) of these uh, parents, fuck you.
0: That's right. You deserve listeners. to suffer. Thanks for listening, Turfs and Trannies.
1: <laughs> and and let me just continue this for a second, because I had I had sex reassignment surgery when I was nineteen. And the impact of that is that I have not really had a healthy sexual relationship as an adult. It's a key thing to have a, a relationship with someone, to have the, a physical component. I know that there are exceptions, but it's it's the normal rule that having a healthy sex life is one of the things that keeps a relationship together. And you're stealing this from your children if you're transitioning them. And it's, it's just, uh, unforgivable.
0: It really seems like a mass phenomenon of desexing children. Like when you were talking about the difference between orchiectomy and double mastectomy, just the the way males and females are constructed uh, the uterus is out of reach it's hard you can't just cut off a woman's uterus it's more work but her breasts are right there sticking out and it's like they're they're just doing what they whatever they can to desex children and I guess adults to some extent too but the phenomenon of it happening amongst children is, really peculiar and like why, why would there be this fashion among mostly middle-class or wealthier people to do that?
1: God, fashion is the right word. Uh, children as accessories to your, Social standing to your to your social. I think we need Rob Henderson here to help they're kind of ex- explain the language. Right?
0: They're kind of accessories to your identity.
1: Yeah, that's there. You go. Uh, your identity as a progressive person.
0: Yeah, and also as a as a parent. Okay, so I've been you know child freaky since I was a child, and therefore have cast a very critical eye on the cultural phenomenon of parenting, the sort of the sort of social pressures to have children and the way parents behave the way they pressure and conform. And I have long thought that people were having children, people of the class we having children as accessories to their egos long before they got into castrating them. Uh, so this is, this is very much consistent with that. And I hate being right. It feels too much like bias confirmation. Like I'm this uh, bitter child-free person that has seen this aspect of parenthood in my class, I guess. But it really does seem of a piece, and it seems like they've
1: there's so much conflict happening right now, 2022, late 2022, between the the gender activists and the sex realists. It seemed at the beginning of this year that things were going in such a good direction. But that probably is uh, a set of backlashes going against one another. And so one of the things that some of our listeners might not be aware of is that when the the WPATH, which is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, when they published their standards of care eight this month, the day that it originally went up on the publication site, I think it was September 8th it was published with recommendations for adolescents about minimum ages before starting any procedures. And then it was not available to the public at that point, but a week later it was made available to the public, but immediately before it was made available to the public, there was a, a massive correction document that was also published that removed all of the age limitations for adolescents which means that there's no minimum age recommended for providing puberty blockers or for providing what they call gender-affirming hormone therapy, G-A-H-T, or for even performing any surgical procedure on on an adolescent, on somebody who's between puberty and adulthood. So despite there being almost a year of public commentary and review period for the version eight of the standards of care. This was a very last minute choice by the authors of the document to strike all of the age recommendations before the public had a chance to comment on it. And this, and this is now what is the official version of the latest standards of care. Where am I going with this? All of these major medical bodies that have supported transitioning children stand behind the WPATH guidelines. That's one of the things that they are continually um, locking arms with as part of their argument that there is research and that there are standards for medicalizing children, for transitioning children. I invite anybody who's interested in this to actually read chapter six of the standards of care of the new version. And you can verify for yourself that the authors have an extremely wishy-washy, unclear uh, set of recommendations about how to handle children who are gender non-conforming. And one interpretation that cannot be gainsaid by any of the recommendations themselves is that professional clinicians should allow children to lead the stages of transition. And a possible outcome of that is that children... Can go uh, directly into surgical intervention without having any uh, hormone regime first mm. that's that's one of the pathways that they explicitly point out as a, a valid option in the new standards of care. And because there's no age recommendations, there is a little bit of guidance, which uh, one part is based on the physical signs of puberty. That would be achieving Tanner stage two of of physical development. And the rest of it is based on the clinician's judgment of the child's readiness to make the decisions of having permanent changes made to their body. So it's the clinician's judgment that the patient or that the child has enough emotional maturity and psychological development to understand the consequences of medicalization. Now, I think most adults understand that a 12-year-old child or a 13-year-old child or even a 16-year-old child cannot understand the experiences of adulthood, that they can't even project it. They can't, it is inconceivable to a child what adulthood is like. So these guides that say that the the, the SOC 8 that says that children should be leading their own health care and that the clinician's role should be evaluating the readiness of the child, I think is catastrophic. It is going to lead towards a fresh wave of medicalization of young people, that now, although we know that there have been cases of some surgical procedures happening on um, adolescents as young as 13, those have been rare cases. They haven't been, it's not been zero, but it's, it's unusual. Vaginoplasty or orchiectomy on um, 17-year-olds has happened. It's unusual. But what's going to happen now with the new standards of care is that it's going to become typical where you have 15 and 16-year-old boys who have their uh, testicles removed and a false vagina uh, placed. And uh, for girls, it's going to be more typical that they have uh, double mastectomies as as early as uh, probably uh, 13 and 14. It's going to become more typical. And I don't know, I, I know I'm talking a lot this episode, Nita, I'm sorry. I've got, I've got thoughts on it. Um, I think that we are at this point where because the activists have really doubled down in, in, in a face of criticism that's really come up over the last two or three years about adolescent transition, the activists and, and the surgeons and the clinicians have doubled down and said, well, if you don't like 18-year-olds having vaginoplasty, let's make it 16 instead. And I don't see that there's a path forward at this point beyond there being an upswell of people like you and me demanding that these procedures be banned for people who are under eighteen. I just don't see that any other choice is being left open because the attempts at finding middle solutions where uh, there's no criminalization of these procedures, um, that's that's getting messed up in the courts. And the judges have been giving... Uh, respecting the medical professional association's judgment that some of these procedures are necessary. But there's really not a clear body of evidence that these sorts of procedures help anyone's, not even adults. But certainly, if you're going to maximize the harm that these procedures can do, you would maximize it by performing them on young people. And I, I, I think at this point that the only way forward is to start to work towards a, a ban on these procedures for minors. I, I, I don't think that WPATH has left any other course open.
0: So this marks a real change in your political strategy for dealing with this?
1: I think it has. I've, I've been processing it all weekend. And the strategy that I've been working on for the last year has been to... Uh, promote legislation that increases the um, window available for filing malpractice suits. And the the idea there was to put more of the liability, the burden of liability, onto the surgeons and the clinicians. But that strategy is especially uh, helpful when... It's, it's, it's not to stop those sorts of procedures from happening. It's to make them rare. It's to make them difficult for non-serious clinicians to provide them. It's like the fly-by-night clinicians or the doctors who think that they know what's going on because they read about it in a journal. It's, it's to get those people out and to only leave the really serious people in. But when you have the new standards of care saying that anything goes, that creates a, a huge shield, a liability shield, because any of these patients, the minors, who have any procedure done at this point, if they wanted to sue their clinician because they weren't properly qualified, those clinicians are now able to use the standard of care 8 as a shield. And SOC8 says anything goes, basically. There's, there, there, the standard is there is no standard. Or the standard is that no matter how you look at the standard, there is some sort of justification for anything that the clinician decides they want to do. And when you have the major medical bodies in the United States... Um, saying that the uh, WPATH guidelines are what is the legal standard or the, the medical standard, I should say. There's nothing for patients anymore. The SOCA basically strips patients of any avenue towards recompense or, or any, any sort of legal address, because anything the clinicians decide to do is, is essentially covered by, by the standard of care. And when you have that situation, uh, which is really tr- tremendously, if you think about it, what WPATH is doing is, is absolutely robbing people who are, who are seeking help. They're robbing them of any form of patient's rights for, with this document. They're pretending that it's giving them all the rights, but it's really what it's doing is uh, it's one huge excuse for clinicians to make any choices that they want to. It's, it's devastating to people who are actually trying to get health care. This, this document does not help us at all, but it's creating a, a huge legal shield. And when they have that available, really the only choice at that point is for legislatures to step in and ban these procedures. Because there, there is no other soft form of uh, legislation that is going to protect people.
0: There was a big change in WPATH's leadership recently, right?
1: Well, there's there's always some or turnover. Small change,
0: yeah. but there. What was the uh, famous person that we'd mentioned? I this is I can't remember names. Uh, yeah. Maddie Deutsch. No the the trans doctor Erica Anderson. Yes, Erica Anderson. Erica Anderson left, right?
1: Erica Anderson left uh Wpath and US Path, yes.
0: Yeah. Has Erica Anderson made any comment on this new document yet?
1: Not that I've seen. But if Erica Anderson is commenting on it, it's probably because a reporter is working on the story and not because Erica Anderson is preparing anything to publish would be my
0: guess. And do you think that the standards changed specifically in response to legislative changes that were starting to grant patients a little bit, some more rights? Well,
1: to be fair, I want to contextualize this. The legislation that's been happening in states like Alabama and Arkansas, and uh, particularly some of the moves that have been happening in states like Texas, where Agents of the states are allowed to start investigating families who are transitioning their kids. Uh, those aren't patients' rights. They really are bans in Arkansas and Alabama and states like that. Those those really are bans. No, I meant M- I Missouri. meant the stuff
0: that you were working on to, no, to make it easier no, no, for no. patients to sue.
1: No, uh, there. Were, I don't think that the activists were in response to the sort of stuff that I'm working on. I think it's it's more in response to the the uh, more visible things that are on the surface such as the bans in the bans, Arkansas right. and Alabama. And so there, Missouri. so,
0: so, okay, right. So there, there are some states that have enacted bans and W response is to, is to make all of this more attractive to ban. I mean, well, it's,
1: it, I, I think it's a lot more sinister than that, Nina, because the, the, the uh, Patients who have sued in these states over these bills have actually had some preliminary successes in the courts. And what I, what I think has happened is that the activists have said, the courts are supporting us, so now is the time to open all the stops. The courts are behind us, now anything goes. And I, I think that that's going to be their downfall. I pray that it's going to be their downfall. I'm going to have to pick up religion at, at, here at some point because I'm praying so much it's it's just all going into the waste basket right now but those prayers need to go someplace useful so
0: Well you need a anybody god anybody has any suggestions you Yeah need we a religion need a god. With a god you need a theistic system
1: we do not an not an egocentric one Yeah dang it I think maybe 2023, that'll be my, uh, conversion to Judaism.
0: Oh, no. That saga. No. Well, I I got to
1: pick something. And I, I don't think if, if I want to go, my, my backup choice is Buddhism. And I don't think that, uh, Buddhist prayers really have the same sort of power as the, the, uh, Abrahamic God.
0: How about Velocity Cycladia, the goddess of bikes and bicyclists?
1: I don't think that uh, she's going to stop children from having their genitals mangled.
0: Well, perhaps we need some sort of uh, god or goddess or patron saint of detransitioners.
1: Oh, I think that's the last thing that detransitioners need.
0: Mm, Other people could be praying to it. Maybe it's not for the detransitioners. But, you know, there's a reason that people worship deities because it, it keeps you out of other kinds of trouble. It gets you into some trouble, but it keeps you out of some worse trouble. And sometimes if there's not the right deity available, you gotta, you gotta kind of think of your own, Like you can make a want ad for a deity. You can, you can describe all of the attributes and qualities you are seeking in a deity, write it down Set fire to it, and the deity may respond.
1: Well, I might be working on that after this recording, in in lieu of actually editing more podcast episodes.
0: <laughs> but just don't don't go for any shitty deity that you know is is available.
1: I I think actually, Nina, I'm I'm thinking about it a little bit, and I think maybe Judaism is is the right way to go here because. I don't want a god that performs miracles. I want a god that enacts divine retribution.
0: Well, but those are the same thing in Judaism. I mean, the plagues are the, you know, the death of the firstborn Egyptians was a wonder and a miracle. All of the ten it plagues. Is, well, yeah. Wonders but, and miracles. Those are the, the same thing.
1: Yeah, I I but I'm talking about how, you know, the the uh the Christians like these positive miracles like the good stuff i don't i don't need any of that i just need my enemies to suffer
0: yeah well the christians that are doing that that's just modern christian christianity christianity is rooted in the old testament and is the same god all right so
1: well yeah may, maybe i'll become a i don't i don't know the which christian denominations would.
0: you could become a muslim because that's uh, abrahamic as well
1: it is, yeah, and I, I hear that there's really a a, a growing cohort of transsexual Muslims. <laughs> so, and do you know Katie Herzog is a Muslim too? So maybe That's, we could, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, we could, we could do a thing together.
0: Well, I, say I don't, I don't think so, though. Roll your. I, own. I really
1: want to lean into the the, the Jewish thing because I, I already got the name.
0: Yeah, I think you've got other reasons. Other deep subconscious reasons
1: oh. you mean you mean like because my my father's side of the family rejected uh me because i'm because my mother's not jewish that those sorts of things
0: those sorts of things and also yeah. a, a sense of uh a sense of claim to it because you are descended from Jews on your father's side and there's and the religion is very wrapped up in
1: yeah.
0: uh, tribal heritage and lineage yeah.
1: this kills me Nina in a way because if, if I were going to convert to Judaism I can't convert to reform because it's fucking infected by gender ideology and uh, that would have to be, I'd have to convert to a more conservative Judaism. But I couldn't do that either because I'm a transsexual.
0: And then you couldn't do it either because you're gay.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that crosses out the whole Jewish thing.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. The Church of the Subgenius is available and it only costs
1: $35. Yeah, I'm I'm already... Uh an and on and off again discordian so and, and the proof of it is that we have uploaded 74 episodes of heterodorks and if that's not proof that I want to inject some discord into the world I don't know what is
0: I think you're injecting coherency into the world
1: I know that's exactly the sort of thing that's going to cause chaos at this point
0: <laughs> It is mind-boggling to think that the that WPATH could persist.
1: Yeah, my guess is that Standard of Care Eight is going to be the last one that they publish. I, I think that they have become so clearly an activist group at this point, and and have gone so far away from medicine and and evidence, that it's likely that the Europeans, who have taken a a, a much more uh, methodical approach to transition generally, but particularly for adolescents, I expect that over time that we will start to adopt the European models and disregard the guidance from the uh, american and and uh western or western organizations north American organizations
0: so this is the the modern postmodern contemporary postmodern paradox that I'm grappling with for other reasons so reality exists for some reason I have long-prioritized acknowledging reality to the best of my very limited ability as a human being. So we know that sex in humans is immutable, that humans can't change sex. We know that uh, these attempts to trans children leads to health problems and lifetimes of medicalization. And it's all quite grotesque from that point of view, but we also live in the social reality that includes religious behaviors and fashion and things like that. And if enough people accept the fashion or what to us appears like the barbaric practice, it, the reality can actually, in a way, not matter. It, can, it cannot matter to our lives as humans in a society. I'm thinking about that right now. I'm actually thinking about copyright, of all things. Uh, which I know the reality of copyright, which is it's an artificial monopoly and that intellectual property is not a kind of property. That's a, a pure fiction. It's, it doesn't work like that. There are material things, there are paintings that can be bought and sold, but uh, so-called intellectual property just is a, it's just a fiction a fiction that we're immersed in. And I'm thinking about this because I am reading JK Rowling's most recent book, the ink black heart, which is fiction, which is fiction for sure. Uh, I, I have read almost all of her Cormoran strike mysteries and I enjoy her writing very much. And of course I enjoy JK Rowling very much. I really love her. Uh, but I believe she is a copyright maximalist. And she is injecting some of her opinions about copyright and its discontent into the story. And that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but it's, it's making me think about... I mean, I've long thought of copyright as also a kind of religious delusion. And it doesn't matter that it's a delusion. There are all of these businesses built as if intellectual property is property. So the fact that it's not property doesn't really matter when you're making deals, you know, when you're immersed in this business model in this fiction where everybody's acting as if it is. And can I really blame someone for not examining it carefully And not really caring what the real reality of it is when the social reality is, you know, this, this business is based on this belief that's not rooted in reality, but it, it's, you know, that you don't get a big movie deal as a copyright abolitionist. It just doesn't happen. You have to, that's the game. It might be a game, but no one's going to really care about undermining the game if the game's working out for them. Yeah. And the same is true with the gender stuff. It's like, even if it's your own kid, I was going to say, like, well, if it's not your kid, you're just not going to care. If it is your kid and you're getting all these social rewards for it, then why would you question that?
1: The Some of the parents who have been in states like texas where they say we we've got to leave because my my trans kid is being threatened i think some of them actually also even though they're creating a, a victim narrative and and in some cases i think actually uh they are being treated unfairly by the state you just make that clear but i think the publicity that they get as victims i think is also something that they they enjoy having is is the attention and the publicity So you had a couple of other items on your list, Nina. Do sure. we want to hit a couple of those before we sign off?
0: This thing about social reality being more present and sort of overriding real reality in a way makes the postmodernists right. If you like put all of your all of your eggs in the changing the names of things basket if you're deeply committed to that as your tactic, you might actually win. And I've, I've always thought that like, well, reality is more important and reality is not going to change anyway. But in terms of so, so much of human life is social and we're, especially with the aid of the internet, we're more and more detached from material reality psychologically I mean of course we're attached to material we have to breathe right we we still need gravity and things like that but uh the atrocities and the insanity that I've witnessed or attended to over the last few years and of course there's all kinds of other atrocities and insanity that's been going on that I simply haven't been attending to uh and and seeing it not fall but grow. I just think like, well, maybe reality just is not important to humans. That's grim. Yeah. I mean, well, and part of that, that's all with the backdrop of, you know, killing the planet, driving other species extinct, (laughs) taking over habitat, eliminating wildness everywhere, melting ice caps,
1: Choosing to subvert the educational system so that children are no longer learning how to read or do mathematics, but instead are learning how to become proper uh, advocates for social justice.
0: Yeah, all of that. And Mm -hmm. it just goes on. And when it stops, it's not going to be because people came to their senses. It's going to be because of the backlash of, you know, and, Equal and opposite group. Yep. heterodorks heterodox, yeah. dorks. <laughs> let's
1: let's let's hit a couple of other items from that list. Okay.
0: Uh, I, ju-
1: let's skip the leads thing though, because you know what, Nina, I think we're gonna probably have somebody who is a an eyewitness as a guest pretty soon.
0: Uh, right. So, um, yes, Kiwi Farms. Kiwi Farms dropped by Cloudflare and removed from oh. Internet Archive's Wayback Machine. And it's the latter that bugs me the most for some reason, that it's not available on the Wayback Machine. We need the Wayback Machine.
1: What does the, What is the Wayback Machine, Nina?
0: So the Wayback Machine is part of Internet Archive, and they... They archive websites at various dates. And when you go to the Wayback Machine and you want to see what a website looked like at a particular date, a calendar comes up and you can click on the space of the calendar and you can see what that website looked on that particular date. And this is very important because in addition to being a universal copy machine, the internet is also a universal memory hole. And the Wayback Machine sort of, Plugs up the hole. Uh, people say things that are that they later regret saying, or that they realize makes them look bad, and they try to control the past. So they'll scrub websites of things that have become unpopular, or that they don't like, or that they don't want to be associated with. And uh, the Wayback Machine, it's still there on the Wayback Machine. And it's a way of ensuring some kind of accountability and also history. Because it's just too easy to change history online.
1: Didn't we receive a warning about that from someone? What? About, I don't know, putting, destroying a archived history and so that it could be misrepresented and changed and have the, uh, have the facts rearranged or, or distorted.
0: Oh, was that in a novel?
1: Probably not.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the Wayback Machine has been a, a nice counter Orwell project and uh, they've, they've touted themselves as such because there have been all sorts of statements made that have been people have later attempted to change them and the internet archive has been justifiably proud of having this archive where you can see what people have actually said and what websites have actually said and i have been a fan i'm i'm of course a fan of the internet archive for all sorts of reasons it's a magnificent project but i'm a fan of the wayback machine as well so when cloudflare dropped kiwi farms and kiwifarms.net could no longer Exist, uh, and they were sort of running from host to host, trying to be hosted somewhere safely. Uh, the Internet Archive removed Kiwi Farms. And I, they still, as far as I know, they still haven't issued a statement why. But it just, I, I just want them to issue a statement. Just tell me why you did this. Because this is so counter to everything that I understand about the internet archive and its purpose, the reasons I could imagine that they took it down were, uh, legal, you know, that maybe there's some sort of police involvement and they were just ordered to take it down while some investigation is going on. And if that's the case, it's like, just say that. And the other reason I could think of for them taking it down is that they, decided Kiwi Farms was morally abhorrent. And the problem with that is that that's not their job. You can't have a reliable archive where the archivists are deciding that this thing is morally abhorrent and this thing isn't. Because I tell you, if there's anything in Kiwi Farms that's morally abhorrent, if you can tell me what it is, I can find a ton of other things that are in the internet archive that have that same flaw that they haven't taken down so they should not be in that business
1: it's it's a warning sign that the what we have taken for granted for so long uh, particularly as as Americans but i think even worldwide that that we have taken it for granted that Free speech is just part of the fabric of the internet. Over time, authoritarian countries like Russia and China have clamped down on the ability for its citizens to participate in free expression. And although... Western governments are not taking an active role in suppressing sites like Kiwi farms. What we have instead is is this sort of technocratic, capitalist, um, censoring, censorship instead, where, as you said, individuals who are making decisions about what is morally repugnant are unilaterally and unaccountably making decisions about what speech is allowed to be accessible or published on the internet. Not not at the level of a website like Twitter, or not even at the level of a website like blogger.com, G- Google's uh, blogging platform, but at the infrastructure level where the only job that some of these companies have the only the only service that they're offering is to pass information from point a to point c they are they are only point b people and their job is to make the system run better they, they have they are not content publishers they don't have any platform for it they're looking into the content they're like peeking. they're listening into the phone call basically and they're deciding that if the conversation is reprehensible in their opinion that they're not going to let the conversation happen there's essentially nothing that we can do about it because the infrastructure companies are there there are very few of them it is an oligopoly and if you are frozen out by the small group of cooperative infrastructure companies there are very few places you can turn to in in the entire world at this point kiwi farms is barely trickling by on the dark web as a as a tor node who knows how how long it can survive that way it's it has been removed completely from from the clear internet from what we think of as the web it is it is not on the web anymore And it's uh, only on the basis of a a few decision makers that this has happened. And I want to point out that although there is some uh, offensive content, for sure, on Kiwi Farms, and that I don't think that uh, there's any debate that Kiwi Farms has been instrumental in coordinating harassment against some individuals that it is also the case that Kiwi Farms has been the only place on in, in the entire world that has archived some of the most uh, offensive behaviors of some internet weirdos that include sexual animal abuse, that include exploitation of children. And, and this isn't documented anywhere else. So if you want to know... Of uh, maybe some strange internet personality, whether the community that they're running is abusing people, that information is gone now, and and there were dozens of individuals that Kiwi Farms had forums on that actually were harming people, including minors, and and all of that has been struck off the off the internet now, and nobody else is doing it, and it's really. Not an exaggeration to say that this is a huge victory for people who exploit others on the internet one of one of the uh, last accountability mechanisms is is now gone,
0: and the accountability mechanism that was the the backup to that accountability mechanism has removed it that's right. And that, again, that's what I find even more disturbing.
1: Is there anything on your list that we can talk about that might be a a good news item?
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, there's one, I guess, sort of. The Mermaid's lawsuit or whatever you call the legal proceedings to get the LGBAs charity status revoked on Turf Island, where... From what I have read following some of the tribunal tweets, that's right, it's a tribunal. It sounds like mermaids is just making asses of themselves and is showing the world how crazy and homophobic they are. And yet, uh, supporters of mermaids are saying that mermaids is being heroic and is doing wonderfully. So, again, that thing with like reality, you know, human society corresponding with reality, uh, it seems like there's two realities, two social realities happening at the same time.
1: Yeah, black is white.
0: Do you want to talk about any happy news regarding that tribunal?
1: We have, at, at the time of this recording the outcome has not been determined and by the time this is published it will probably already be known
0: no i thought that there was this big delay and that they're they're not going to resume until much later
1: oh really yeah. i hadn't heard that well we're we're obviously rooting for the lgb alliance it is so preposterous that th- this is by the way this is the first time this has ever happened in history that one charity has challenged the charity status of another. In the UK. In the UK. And it is so telling that it is a transgender charity that is trying to stamp out a charity that is that has been founded for the purposes of supporting lesbians and gays and bisexuals. It's It's just a a microcosm of everything that's happening in the world right now. So if you're a a mermaid supporter, fuck you. Yeah. But there's, there's nobody like that listening.
0: (laughs) They might be hate listening to all of our hate listeners. Thank you. And we hope that you hate contribute to us as well with hate money.
1: Oh, speaking of, uh, I guess we should probably wrap up, but our adult human weirdo t-shirt marketing campaign went really well. We sold uh, 27 or 28.
0: Actually, I think you just sold a couple at the last minute. So uh, Corinna suggested making these limited edition shirts and putting a deadline on it. So I actually did that. And the deadline was yesterday, wasn't it?
1: It was... In fact, very early Sunday morning. Okay. Eastern time.
0: So we, oh, I have to change the. We sold a total of 34 units of adults. 34? Wow. Yes.
1: So I got two of them. So that means we sold 32 to our fans. Yes. That's exciting.
0: Yeah, they're nice shirts.
1: I received a completely random compliment on mine in public a couple days ago.
0: What was the person like who complimented it?
1: Probably another weirdo, if I had to guess.
0: Male or female? How old? Female,
1: female. Well, actually, I, I didn't. You can't just tell somebody's sex, Nina, by by yeah. looking at them.
0: Did you Did you check her genitals?
1: I did, and you wouldn't believe the trouble I got in. <laughs>
0: Thats the it, only it didn't way you even can make tell. it better
1: <laughs> it didn't even make it better when I said, Well, you can check mine too <laughs> did not it did not help, and I'll tell you that uh it shouldn't have even been a matter of dispute about what my sex is because I had very 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 large prosthetic breasts under my under my blouse
0: really big ontario sized
1: ontario sized yes <laughs>
0: Should we talk about that other uh, news item?
1: I don't want to get too too deep into it, okay. Nina, but I, I do want to make one comment, which is that we are at the point now where any level or degree of uh, perversion, public displays of perversion in front of children, any of that can be justified by saying, well, that person is... Exhibiting their gender identity,
0: as long as that person is a man.
1: As long as that person is a man, yeah. I I, I think there's probably a lot of latitude for females for women who are going the other direction as well. But it's particularly the case that that men are excused by public performances of of just grotesque sexual depravity, as long as they can say that it's consistent with their gender identity. And that is going to completely fuck over the previous iteration or cohort of of trans people who really wanted to assimilate and not draw any sort of notice or attention or be notable for anything beyond the other effects that they wanted to have in the world. That's all gone now. It is all gone all, all of these allies who stand up to say uh this is the this is the right and correct uh thing to, to defend these people you have destroyed my people you you allies have destroyed me. me me and my kind we are uh there's no place for us anymore because of of you so thank you and fuck you you know what I can already think of a, a good title for this episode.
0: Does it start with an F?
1: It sure does.
0: <laughs> good, I like. I like that uh, your bout with COVID has peeled away some of your layers of politeness.
1: Yeah, but it was it was not COVID. It was COVID.
0: Oh, right, COVID.
1: Yeah, because my my test came back negative.
0: Yeah. I still think it was COVID.
1: We don't know. We don't know what it was. We
0: never will. Although actually you can try testing yourself again.
1: Yeah. And I could go get a PCR.
0: Yes. Test. Just out of curiosity. Anywho, thank you for listening, Turfs and Trannies. And thank you for ranting, Corinna. Oh, and also be sure to read Corinna's article about Kiwi farms. We will put the link. In the show notes, it's at Corinna Cone's Substack, which is, what's the address of that?
1: Karinacone.substack.com.
0: All right. It's really the best article about Kiwi farms that I have seen. It's balanced. And if you want to try to explain this issue with other people, send them that link. Thank you, Nina. Thanks for writing it.
1: All right, turfs and trannies.
0: Bye. <laughs>
1: Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Heterodorks. You can support our podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash heterodorks or by directly supporting Nina Paley on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nina Paley.